Today's reading is from um, Proverbs 2, uh, chapter 2, um, to verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 12. It's on page 636 of the Bibles. Mm-hmm. So, Proverbs 2. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commandment, commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry out aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose ways of life is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman from her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads down to death and her path to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the path of life. Thus you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the path of the righteous. For the upward will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them round your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first, first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, as a father the son he delights in. This is the word of God. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. My name's Sam Stevenson. I'm the um, student minister here at Christchurch Mayfair. Um, we're quite new on the staff team if we've not yet had a chance to meet, which is probably most of us. Then uh, we're looking forward to doing so at some point, uh, some point very soon. Um, why don't I pray as we come to this, this passage in God's word. Let's pray. Living God, we thank you. We thank you that you speak to us today through your living word. 
Father, these words were written a very long time ago. But we trust that by the power of your spirit, these are words that we need to hear today. And so we pray that you would be amongst us, giving us open ears, open hearts to receive these words and take them into our lives. We ask it for your name's sake. Amen. I, um, I don't know if you're one for a, a cost-benefit analysis. I think, um, I think there are times when a particular decision calls for a cost-benefit analysis. Um, we're currently um, weighing up different options for our, for our kids' schooling for, um, for next year. And, um, and that felt like the sort of decision to actually write down, you know, what, what are the benefits to this school? What are the downsides? What are the, what are the, what are the kind of benefits of this other schooling option? You know, what are the costs to that schooling option? Um, sometimes a, a, a written cost-benefit analysis is, is what you need. It's, it's kind of a useful tool to help you work through a, diff- a difficult decision. Um, I, know, I know a friend, actually, an engineering friend, who... Um, when he was trying to decide whether or not to get married to his wife, did a written cost-benefit. I mean, that has to be the most engineering thing ever, doesn't it? To do a written cost-benefit analysis. Uh, I think they're happily married. Um, they've, they've certainly married a good number of years now. Um, but even without writing anything down, we, 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 weigh up, we weigh up sort of costs and benefits every day, don't we? Um, shall we? Shall we walk or shall we cycle? If we walk, we'll arrive late, but in good form. If we cycle, we'll be on time, but sweaty. It's, it's a tough call. Could go either way. Um, shall I have a G&T? £12.50? No, I'll have a tap water. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, now, we're in this little series of, of talks at the moment in the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs invites us to consider wisdom. Wisdom, practical, nous for living life well. What does wisdom offer? What are the benefits to wisdom? But, but also, how do, you, how do you access it? What are the costs involved in getting wisdom? This, um, this section that we're in, this, this bit of the book of Proverbs, really the big theme is that, is that wisdom is worth it. Wisdom is worth it. Last week, if you were with us, we had a bit more kind of stick. Here are the downsides if you don't, if you don't accept wisdom. Today's a bit more carrot, if you like. It's kind of here, here are the upsides, here are the benefits from accepting wisdom, from receiving wisdom. But we're going to see today there's a path that you need to walk. It's a very specific path. It's God's path. His way is the only way that will give us wisdom. The, The benefits of wisdom only come if you're walking his path. And as I've I've read these words over the last week, I I found it really natural to read these words as as though they were on the lips of Jesus, as as an invitation from him. Remember his wonderful words in in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. He, He says this, Come to me, all you who are weary, and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Come and take my yoke, says Jesus. Come and learn from me. Come and walk my way, and you will find that it is good. It is restful for weary and burdened souls to walk my way 
I found it very natural to read these words in Proverbs as, as an invitation from Jesus in whom all wisdom is found to come and walk his way and to reap the rich benefits of wisdom. So what are those benefits? That's, that's really where we're going to go today. That you'll, you'll find an outline on your, on your um, little bit of paper as you, um, as you walked in. Wisdom will shape you, verses 1 to 11. Wisdom will save you, verses 12 to 22. And wisdom will make all your wildest dreams come true forever and ever, chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Uh, don't worry about that. We'll make more sense of that when we come to it. Wisdom will shape you. Wisdom will save you. And wisdom will make all your wildest dreams come true forever and ever. First thing, wisdom will shape you, verses 1 to 11. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, if you do that, then two things, you'll know God and you'll know good. But notice that there's an if. Wisdom is not something that you catch automatically. You can't can't catch it like a cold. You don't just pick it up. There's there's a path you need to walk. You need to listen to God. Now, you've all been coming here a lot longer than I have. So I assume you've you've seen down on Piccadilly, there's a little blue plaque um, as you just walk up Piccadilly from Hyde Park Corner, commemorating Francis Barrow's painting, His Master's Voice. His master's voice. I think there's a little image of it. Here it is. Um, It's hard to pinpoint what what makes a a painting like that take on global significance as the logo for HMV, as it was for many years. But there's there's something, I think, just about the kind of rapt attention of the dog that captures the imagination. It's leaning into the source of the sound, tilting his head almost to kind of get an earful of, of of this sound. And that that's the kind of posture towards our master's voice that will actually shape us. Accepting his words, storing them up, craving them, shouting for them, hunting for them. There's a, there's a cacophony of voices, aren't there, clamoring for our attention. Ping, ping, ping. But our master's voice is the only one that will actually shape us. But look at how he shapes us. Look at how he shapes us. If we will only listen to God, then verse 5, first thing, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. If we will listen to God, then we will get to know God. It's worth actually pausing here because I, I wonder how much of a blessing we sort of instinctively think that that is. If you listen to God, you will get to know God. According to the Bible, that is the richest blessing that we could ever, ever enjoy. Writer Jim Packer says this in his book, Knowing God. He says this, what makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something which catches our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance And this, the Christian has in a way that no other person has. For what higher, more exalted, and more compelling goal can there be than to know God? What higher, 
more exalted and more compelling goal can there be than to know God? Is that how we think about knowing God? Maybe that we've, we've been feeling a bit sort of stagnant, a bit, a bit aimless in, in, in recent weeks, in recent months. Maybe we've, we've learned the basic truths of Christianity. We'd, we'd call ourselves a Christian and we just think, you know, where do I go from here? Great, I'm in. I'm, I'm a Christian. I've, I've trusted in the wondrous cross of Jesus. We sung about it earlier. Well, here is a lofty goal. We can know God. Or maybe we're just exhausted. We've been in survival mode. And along the way, we've, we've forgotten about God. We've just become blinkered to our day-to-day. God, our Father, is, is making us a promise here. If we, will, if we will listen to him, if we will turn our ear to him, seek him, then we will find him. He, he's not standing at a distance. He, we, we can know God. We can find him in all of his beauty and his majesty and his awe-inspiring worth. He's not standing at a distance. Wisdom will shape you in knowing God, firstly, and secondly, in knowing good, in knowing good. Verse 9, then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Of course, one flows to the other as we, as we get to know God we get to know good because God is the source of all good. But notice the depth at which God's wisdom shapes us. Wisdom enters our heart. Knowledge becomes pleasant to us. So as we wrestle with, you know, how much TV shall I watch? Or, or, or you know, how can I get out of the debt as, as cost of cost of living crisis mounts, or how, how, how do I care for my aging relatives? God is committed to changing us at the deepest level of our desires so that we know and love what is good. Not burdening us with guilt and pressure, pointing out all the silly mistakes that we made, but by giving us a taste for the goodness of his ways and changing us so that we love those ways by making them genuinely pleasing to us. Imagine a, um, a craftsman taking a, a, a faulty compass that has been misaligned, always sort of veering off, pointing somewhere, somewhere towards the west, and, and taking it and, and fixing it up so that it comes back to pointing true north as it should. That's, that's what God is committed to doing to us by changing us changing our natural tendency to to veer off from his path so that we love tending towards his path, his good path. Wisdom will shape you. That's the first promise that we have from God here in this passage. Second promise, wisdom will save you. Wisdom will save you. We, um, We love a trip to the UK coastline. In our family, can't afford to go anywhere else. Um, but we love a trip to the UK coastline. Um, UK coast path, delightful. We love it. Um, but um, a bit scary with toddlers at points. Because um, as you walk along, there's, there's, no, there's no barriers. And um, every so often, the path kind of bends around. And you can, you can see the sheer cliff edge that you're walking along. And um, you sort of see the foaming rocks down below. And you think, crikey, you know, let's, 
let's, let's stick to the path. <laughs> that's the message to the kids. Stick to the path. Stick to the path. Because that's where there's safety. There's safety on the path. Listening to God, walking his path of wisdom will keep you safe. Verse 12, notice, wisdom will save you. Verse 16, wisdom will save you. What from? Two things again. Firstly, the gang. We met the gang last week. Verse 12, wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who've left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. The appeal of the gang is always strong, isn't it? Crowds, groups, they sort of have a way of bypassing our our natural moral instincts so that we just kind of go along. We just sort of do what they do without even pausing to to think. Bit of banter, join in. Bending the rules, sure, why not? It's more fun when we explore sort of around the edges of the path anyway. You don't want to stick to the straight and narrow. It's boring, isn't it? But if we're not careful, we'll go over the cliff. We'll go over the cliff with them. I've seen Christians, mature Christians, small group leaders go over the cliff because they listen to the crowd. They follow the gang. But the promise of God to us is that his path of wisdom will keep us safe. It will save us. It will save us from the power of the gang. We've already seen, haven't we? God wants to make his way delightful to us. He wants to change us in our inner being. So that we, when we find ourselves in a group who delight in doing wrong, as verse 14 says, that actually they delight in that, but we delight in something different. We don't love what they love. We don't find leaving the path as funny as everybody else does. Because we know the dangers. Our longings are for elsewhere. We love what is right and just and good. We long for heaven. Wisdom will keep us safe from the gang. And it'll keep us safe, secondly, from from deceitful desires. Verse 16, wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words who's left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. It's a vivid picture. It's the picture of a, of a, a sexually liberated woman. She was married once, but she's thrown off those repressive shackles of marriage. No husband to hold her back. And now her picture and her number are stuck up in a phone box saying, call me. Call me. And it might be that you're here this morning and you, and, you, and you feel that temptation to call. It might be actually for you, this, this is the very point of danger for you this morning. If that is you, then hear this warning. Verse 18, surely her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or retain the paths of life. 
Calling her will lead you off a cliff. Your life will be smashed to pieces on the rocks below. Don't call her. Of course, it might be that that you're here and actually a, a picture in a phone box holds little appeal for you. But I think the picture speaks powerfully anyway of the pull of deceitful desires. The advert saying, buy me. The food saying, eat me. The bottle saying, drink me. They can all lead you off a cliff in different ways. But wisdom will save you from them. That's the promise here. Very real dangers, but wisdom will save you. As wisdom enters your head, you can see where it leads. I don't want to go there. I don't want my life to be smashed to pieces on the rocks below. As wisdom enters your heart, you can say no. Because we know where God's path of wisdom leads. Verse 20, this is where it leads. Thus you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous, for the upright will live in the land. And the blameless will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. Nobody will look back from heaven and wish that they'd said yes to those deceitful desires. Nobody. As we enjoy the abundance and the richness of God's house, as we enjoy the goodness of his land, nobody will look back and say, I wish I'd had more back then. God's path is the only path that leads there. It's the only path that can save you, not just in this life, from deceitful desires and from the gang, but, but forever. Friends, walk this path. This is the invitation of Jesus to each one of us. Take my yoke and learn from me. My way is good, says Jesus. Come and learn from me. This is the path that we want to walk. Wisdom will save you. Wisdom will save you. That's the second promise. And thirdly, here's the one that you raised an eyebrow at when I mentioned it earlier. Thirdly, wisdom will make all your wildest dreams come true forever and ever. You're thinking, what? But, but then look at what's promised here. Look at what's promised here in, in chapter 3. Verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching. Keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Well, thank you very much. Or, or verses 7 and 8, don't, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Or, or verses 9 and 10, honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops, and your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Wisdom will make all your wildest dreams come true forever and ever. Except we know that's not true. I, I heard this week that a, that a man at the church I grew up at had just started cancer treatment. Apparently the prognosis isn't looking especially good. He's an elder at that church. He's a man who's walked in wisdom for as long as I've known him. And at the moment his body is not healthy. 
It's not certain that the years of his life will be prolonged for many more. What do we do with that? Here's what we don't do. Here's what we don't do. We don't say, well, he can't really be wise then. We don't say that. If only he was a bit wiser, if only he had a bit more faith, then, then he wouldn't have cancer. No. You'll find people calling themselves Christians who will say that, but it's not true. Don't buy it. Nobody who ever lived was wiser than Jesus. Nobody ever had more faith than Jesus, and he suffered the most brutal execution this world has known. So we don't do that. Let me just put a few pegs in the ground and then we'll come back to what this, this passage is promising us. And it is a wonderful promise. Let's put a few pegs in the ground. The first peg to hammer in, I think, is the, it's the new creation peg. Heaven is coming. Because that's really where these promises find their proper fulfillment. In the land, as we saw earlier, in God's land. There, none of these promises will feel too big. If anything, these promises will feel too small. <laughs> we'll think, yeah, I promised us the half of actually what this is really like. An eternity of blessing. Life that goes on and on and on and on without the brutal interruption of death. <laughs> when verse 2 says, this will prolong your life for many years, yeah, yes it will. Eternity. That's what's, that's what's promised to us. Restored bodies that work properly. No more aches and pains. No more bad backs. No more creaky joints. So yeah, this will bring health to our body. This, this will bring nourishment to our bones. In the presence of God, surrounded by everything good. Psalm 36.8 says, They feast in the abundance of your house, and you give them to drink from your river of delights. Full barns, overflowing vats. All of that is promised to us in the new creation. Follow God's path of wisdom to the end. It'll all be yours. So that's, that's the first peg to get in place. The, the new creation peg. Heaven is coming. And there, the, these promises will feel too small, if anything. Second peg to, I think, hammer in, though, is to say that God's wisdom is better. God, God made the world. God, God knows how the world works. And when he says following this path is good... It is going to be good because God, God is the one who knows what is good generally there are exceptions of course there are exceptions but the exceptions don't stop the rule from being true so how many, how many fingers do humans have? F- five, right? We have, we, humans have five fingers on each hand ten perhaps there you go um, unless Unless you have polydactyly, in which case you have six fingers or, 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 or more. I don't quite understand how polydactyly works. But the exception doesn't stop the rule being true. Hum- humans have five fingers on each hand. There are, there are benefits to wisdom now. So Proverbs 12:13 says, Evildoers are trapped by their sinful talk, and so the innocent escape trouble. And so there's generally going to be less trouble for you if you're innocent. And we sort of know that. That, like, that makes sense to us. Like God's, God's path of wisdom is going to be better. If you, if you walk his way, it's going to be better. You're less likely to, to, to get, in, get put into prison. Might mean you live longer. You're less likely to get into a sort of blood feud and, and someone kills you before your time. 
God's wisdom is, is better. Back in our passage, um, chapter 3, verse 3, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them round your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Love and faithfulness, they, they are like God's distinctive kind of core values. They're, they're his kind of, especially in the Old Testament, they're his calling card. That, that's God's distinctive, that's what he's about. Steadfast love and faithfulness. I'm not sure if you're somebody who, who um, wears a cross around your neck. Not a bad thing to do, I think, if you're, if you're somebody who does that. Um, but it's one thing sporting a, a symbol of God's love. And it's another thing actually sporting his love as this passage encourages us to do binding his love and faithfulness around our neck making his values our values people will see Christ in you if you do that and then verse 4 you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and, and man God's wisdom is better generally it is better, not, not without exceptions, but God's wisdom is, is better. So first thing, heaven is coming. Second thing, God's, God's wisdom is better. And the third peg I think we need to hammer in is that, is that God loves to give good gifts to his children. God, God is a really generous God. And I think, I think that's the idea in, in verses 9 and 10. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops, and your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. You can't outgive God. I mean, actually, everything, if you think about it, everything we have comes from Him anyway. So we can't ever give to Him in such a way that makes Him owe us something. As his children honour him with what he has given them, it's his delight to supply what they need abundantly. The person giving in in verse 9 doesn't do so because they feel that they have to or in order to get the blessings of verse 10. It it doesn't work like that. And God doesn't give the blessings of verse 10 because he has to, because the person has given him something. It's not like a kind of reward type of scenario it doesn't it doesn't work like that but actually as we express our trust and our delight in 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 God and what he has given us by by giving back to him what he has given it's his pleasure to supply more it's a sort of virtuous cycle of generosity you can't you can't out give God God loves to give good gifts to his children so we've got these three pegs in the ground. Heaven is coming, God's wisdom is better, and God's really generous. So what's this section really saying? Wisdom will make all your wildest dreams come true forever and ever. Well, sort of. Wisdom will make you a child of God. Wisdom will make you a child of God. I think that's what this section's really about. That's the promise of this section. Wisdom will make you a child of God. My son... My daughter. The language of sonship is it's all over this section of Proverbs, but but I think I think it I think it's kind of equally relevant to men and women. But it's there in um, in verse one, my son, don't forget my teaching. It's there in verse twelve. As a father, the the son he delights in. You and I can be children of the living God. 
Wisdom will get us there. It makes us children of the living God. 1 John chapter 3 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are, brothers and sisters. That is what we are. Mayfair is a fascinating place, isn't it, to come to church. I um, imagine growing up here back in the day, the, the seven-year-old child, say, of, a, of an incredibly wealthy nobleman. You live at the top of the Monopoly board. Unlimited blessings at your disposal. Food, toys, education, you name it. Unimaginable wealth. But given according to the wisdom and good pleasure of your father, who loves you. He doesn't want to spoil you, he wants to nurture you. He wants you to grow up well. And that's the picture here. And there will be times where we will be overwhelmed by our father's generosity. There'll be times in the Christian life where we go, I cannot believe how, how God has been so generous to me. I, I don't deserve any of that from him. And there'll be times where we cannot, for the life of us, understand how the path that God is asking us to walk can possibly be good. I'm sure the family of the man I mentioned earlier, undergoing cancer treatment, are struggling to see how the path that they're walking as a family can be good. Maybe that you're walking a path at the moment where you're finding it hard to see God's goodness. Listen to these words from verse 11. My son, my daughter, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Somehow, somehow in our suffering, the Lord is expressing his love for us as his children. An artist scratches away at a painting, carefully sort of scraping away paint that's in the wrong place here and here and there. And I'm sure if the painting had feelings, it would say, Ouch. What are you doing to me? But the artist loves the painting. She has a purpose for that painting. To make it so beautiful that it will take your breath away to stand next to it. How much more so God with his children Wisdom will make you a child of God. So as we close, we've, we've seen the benefits of wisdom. These are the benefits of wisdom. Wisdom will shape you. Wisdom will save you. Wisdom will make all your wildest dreams come true forever and ever because wisdom will make you a child of God. That's what wisdom can offer us. If, if, if we're prepared to give up our own way and walk in his way, 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. And he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Anybody can receive this wisdom apart from the person who thinks they already have it. Who is wise in their own eyes. Only. Nobody else's. Jesus wants to persuade us with these words. Giving up our own way and submitting to him. Taking his yoke is the wisest decision we will ever make. He wants to help us walk Stumbling and tottering though, though it may be for us. He wants to help us walk this path that leads to life. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, says Jesus. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls along this path. And it might be that today, today could be the day where you begin a new path. Maybe today you've realized this wisdom is is something that you want to take hold of. Maybe you've never embarked upon this path. Don't don't miss the opportunity to to do what chapter 2 verse 3 said. Call call out for insight, cry aloud for understanding, to, to say to God, Lord, please give me this wisdom. Sorry for forging my own path, going my own way. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your invitation to follow you on this path that leads to life. Of course, there'll be many here, and and actually, this is a path you're already on. You embarked upon it maybe many years ago. Let this passage be an encouragement to you. You're not a fool for walking it. Whatever others may say to you, you are no fool for walking this path. You are no fool to keep yielding to God's wisdom. Don't turn aside from it. Keep walking it. Keep walking it. Should we pray for God's help? Our Father, we thank you so much for this gracious invitation from your Son. Come and learn from him. Come and learn from him how to do life. To come and learn from him how to walk this path that leads to life. Father, help us not to lean on our own understanding. Help us not to be wise in our own eyes. But to yield to you, to submit to you, and to enjoy these rich benefits, these rich promises that wisdom can bring to us. We ask it in Jesus' name.